0: Hi, I'm Paul. There are two ways that somebody like me can walk out on a stage like this, uh, the way that I would like to and typically do, which is quite poised and um, just ready to stand up here and give, gosh, four pages of notes to you. And then there's the way I am, which is, quite honestly, um, still a little red-eyed from weeping during our worship today. Um, for no other reason than there are some moments, I think, in our lives as Christians, when the mystery of God's love is shown to you in a way that is so personal that it becomes uh, inescapable. It's, it's given to you in a way that's so specific to you that you can't not weep, you can't not respond as much as you would like to get up in front of everybody and uh, uh, do exactly what you wanted to do. Uh, you have to stand here like I'm doing now and, and self-reflect a little bit. I say that so that as we launch into a conversation about the Holy Spirit, you know this. I believe, to the point of tears tears before I get up in front of a large group of people (laughs) to talk to you, everything I'm going to say to you today. I did not write this so I could sell books. I did not write this so that I could stand under the lights. I hope. I mean, we all have mixed up motives, but... (laughs) But I stand before you today as a man who really believes this. And I hope that as we launch into a discussion I'm very passionate about, about a person that I'm very passionate about, that you, um, whether you begin to feel it or not, can in some way feel the weight that I'm beginning to feel and, and lean into that and become excited about it and invite the Holy Spirit to intersect your life and your love and your tear ducts in this new kind of way, or this old kind of way, this love kind of way, this mystery kind of way, whatever you want to call it. All I'm saying is sometimes you are reminded that God is so much bigger than anything you could say or planned to say. And I hope that you all have an experience like that. Um, Yeah, so there we go. So I was messy crying, and now I'm up here. I'm going to speak to you. Bear with me. Let me pray to open this time. Holy Spirit, giver of life, there is nowhere we can go from your presence. You love us. You watch us. You guide us. You correct us. You give us life. You give us wisdom. You show us the love of God. You make this whole thing real today let this be sacred ground let me speak no word that is not of you let every person here invite you in a new way as a result of our time this morning and let your love flow through your church the body of Christ to the world for the sake of God the Father in Jesus name Amen I'm going to begin by reading a passage uh, from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And since I know that you're a Bible-loving church, let me explain how, how this is going to go today. I'm going to read our passage. then I'm going to set it to the side and talk for a while about things that are not um, directly from the passage, and I'm promise I'm going to come back and give you the Bible that you're all longing for. We're going to wrap it up. It's grounded in this. But let's start with Paul's words to the Ephesians. If you have your Bible, this is in Ephesians 1 verses three through 14. If you don't, or if you'd rather just sit there and listen, that's fine too. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption, You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's so good to be in Bend. My grandparents uh, retired here, and so as a boy uh, in the 90s and the early 2000s, I would come and spend just the most delightful weeks here in the high desert. Uh, They had this uh, little house that backed up to, um, they called it the Oregon Trail, but it wasn't the Oregon Trail. It was just a trail in Oregon. But (laughs) I thought of it as the Oregon Trail. Uh, and it was all full of those l- lovely little brown lizards that crawl around everywhere and jackrabbits, and I learned the difference between uh, bitter brush and sagebrush and rabbit brush, which, is that common knowledge? They seem to think that it was. You guys have three different kinds of sagebrush out here. I don't know if you know it, but each one is more magical than the next. It's like a sagebrushy Willy Wonka factory of, <laughs> of uh, desert stuff. Uh, so anyway, all that to say, I love Bend. And a lot of that is because of how much I loved my grandparents, and especially my grandfather, who, in fact, was the first Paul pastor. I'm the third. There's a Paul pastor who birthed me and a Paul pastor who birthed him. And that Paul pastor was a Bend Paul pastor. Um, I was very close to my grandfather. There are certain family relationships you have that are more more than just a a grandpa-grandson thing, but it's a friend thing, like... We were friends even though he was in his 70s and I was in my 10s, you know. We <laughs> would hike together and laugh together and draw together and watch old movies together. It was great. Uh, he called me from his deathbed uh, when we were, my wife and I lived for two years in Chicago and um, I couldn't be with him at the time of his passing, but he gave me a phone call. And there's something very weighty about knowing that you're having not just a last conversation, but the last conversation with somebody that you dearly love. And so we spoke, and um, I was another... I'm really not that much of a crier, but again, I was messy crying uh, on that day too and um, making it through this phone call uh, with my grandfather, who we called Gum. And um, his last words to me were fascinating. This was a man who had fought for three years with General Patton. He was a full-blood Hungarian, the son of first-generation immigrants, grown up in profound poverty, had earned a doctorate, founded a program at Cal State Fullerton, was truly a remarkable man in every sense of the word, and the kind of person who always has the right thing to say for every situation, including, apparently, His own death. (sighs) His last words to me were, Paul, never be afraid to play second base. (laughs) And through my sobs, I couldn't ask him what that meant, and I had to hang up, and he passed shortly thereafter. Well, we were comparing notes as a family um, at his memorial service, and he had given these little riddles, to multiple members of my family. There were like four or five different little ones, each one individual. Each one felt like it was personal, like it meant something to us, but we couldn't exactly figure it out. And so we were all comparing notes, A, at the audacity of a man who tells you riddles about yourself on his own deathbed, which requires some degree of planning, (laughs) and a high degree of love and selflessness, and then B, just trying to figure out what he meant. It was his final parting gift. It was just like him to leave something for me, and it was just like him to make me work for what that meant. I've never been a baseball player. (laughs) Second base? We'll figure it out later. But suffice it to say that the more I've thought into that, the more meaningful it's been, the more I've leaned into that small mystery that this person I love gave me at this very difficult time, the more sense it's made, the more it's sort of become uh, one of the guiding mantras of my life and my work. But it was just like him, to leave something behind and to make me search for exactly what it was and exactly how it related to my life. Set that story to the side for a moment. We're gonna speak about the Holy Spirit today. It's a name that you know if you're a Christian, right? You've all heard about the Holy Spirit? Okay, good. You can be a little more enthusiastic. You've heard about the Holy Spirit, right? (laughs) He's filled you, he's in you, he's present. Yes, amen. It's a name you know. You were baptized into it. It's a name that is woven through our prayers, through 2,000 years of Christian creeds and theology and history. It's in our songs, sang about him this very morning. It's a name for one of the persons of the Godhead, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We Christians love our paradoxes, don't we? The three in one and the one in three. We're terrible at math, but we're great at mystery. (laughs) He's three, and he's one. And he's three. But the truth is that in Christian conversation and life, we give a tremendous amount of attention to the first two persons of that trinity, don't we? And the spirit, the attention we give to the spirit varies so widely depending on where we are encountering him. There are some churches that really work hard to turn the trinity into the Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures right? And there are some churches that are more like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. (laughs) And even as we bring up this conversation, there's misunderstandings that are in this room. There's anxiety that's in this room. Some of you have had bad experiences with people who have said really harmful things, like if you're not speaking in tongues, you don't have God in you. That's wrong. We'll settle that right now. That's wrong. But the hurt remains, even if you know in your mind that that's not true. It's a name that carries with it a lot of confusion. It's a name that carries with it a kind of theological fog, a mystery, as it were. Now, there are two kinds of mysteries. There are mysteries like the kind Sherlock Holmes solves. The dead body is inside the locked room. How did it get there? Those are, I like to call those closed mysteries. Because the more you find out about them, the less mysterious they actually are. Until by the end of the story, it all makes sense, right? And then there are open mysteries. Mysteries like birth. Or like the love of a parent for their child. Or like astronomy. Where the facts are fairly simple. But the more you find out about it, the more you know it, the more it encompasses your life, it begins to haunt you. In a holy way, it begins to unsettle you, to become part of you, to make you do things like weep in the front row when you've got to get up in front of a bunch of people and speak. It messes you up. It gets to you. And the Spirit is that type of mystery, an open mystery. As we live into the Spirit's life, as we encounter God the Holy Spirit more, we can know the theology, know the doctrine. But if it makes it to the place where it matters, the level of the heart, it will begin to haunt you as an open mystery. So who is he? Who is this mystery? He's fully God. Anyone who says differently is um, a heretic. He's personal. He's not an impersonal force. He's not an it. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. It's easy for us sometimes to dismiss the Trinity as mysterious. But we can talk a lot about it in uh, some pretty specific ways. And and here's how it works uh, according to uh, the Western Church, the theology of the Western Church. The Father is the Father Because he loves the son with the kind of love that fathers love with. A fatherly love. If there are parents in this room, you know that kind of love. You felt it for the first time when you held your child. You have that because God had it first. God the father is the father because he loves with that kind of love. And God the son, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, is the son because he, in return, loves the father with a love that is sonly, A child love. That distinction of love sets them apart. And the love between them, I'm not making this up, this is our doctrine, itself proceeds from the father and the son as a divine person. A person of love the Holy Spirit. He proceeds from the Father and the Son as the very breath of love. He's not derived from them. There's no firstness here. We're outside of time and space. It's one of those mind-blowing aspects of Christian theology. But at the center of God, as I'm sure you've spoken of many times in this church, at the center of God is relationship. And its specific relationship to each person. Why does this matter? Because God the Father, in many ways, is a very transcendent person. He's above. If we were to see him in his full glory and presence, we would be unmade. Because Jesus the Son is the bridge, but he limited himself. Paul says in the book of Philippians. He emptied himself of of certain God-ish things. No less God, he's still fully God. But if he were to show up in the room today, he'd be wearing a body much like ours. At one point, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, it's better for you that I go away so that the Holy Spirit can come. Now, all of us, we sort of scratch our heads because wouldn't it be nice to have Jesus here instead of me? Yes, it would be great. Like, look at him and be like, that's Jesus. Jesus. He's God. He's the Son. Let's all worship Him because we can see Him. But He would also be limited by the very thing that makes Him Him. He's embodied. And then there's the Holy Spirit who is the most immanent member of the Trinity. He is God come close He is the very personal love of God that is able not just to create the world, though he did, not just to found the church through Jesus, though he did, not just to come upon Jesus the Son and enable God the Son to redeem us and to purchase us, to live a sinless life, though he did, He is able to come to you specifically, lovingly, completely, filling up what you lack and bringing to you gifts from God for your holiness, for your righteousness, and for the mission of the church that enable you to live out the work and the words of the Son. The Spirit is, um, Jesus says in John 3, the reproductive process of heaven. Unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God, he says. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. And he's saying that about us, about those who would be made like Jesus. These are profound mysteries, aren't they? Deep theology, mystical. So now let's take that whole thing and let's sharpen it down to a razor's edge that's going to cut right where you are in your life right now, right where I am in my life right now. Because if all of this is true, and I believe it is, how do we forget it? How do we forget it as people? How do we forget it as a corporate church? Because I think we largely have. We don't talk about this in this intimate way like I think we should. How? Why does that happen? Can I be candid with you? I don't think that we really believe it matters. I think we see the Holy Spirit as our sidekick in our life of faith. When the truth is, he is our life of faith. To be a Christian is to begin walking the path of Jesus. He says that. Take up your cross and follow me. The teaching is that if you conform, if you turn to Jesus and say, yes, you, I want you, I want to be in you, that at that moment the Holy Spirit comes upon you and that something of Christ's life, as mysterious as physical reproduction, comes and kindles in you the life of God, the life of the Trinity. You are made one with Jesus and you begin looking towards the Father and loving him with a love that is childlike. The Spirit comes and joins you, conforms you to the image of Jesus and starts this long, slow process of of becoming more holy that we call sanctification. Sanctification. It's not just about not doing things you shouldn't do and doing good stuff. It's about living out the life that Jesus himself would live if he was in your shoes. Because you're able to do that through the same thing that gave Jesus his life. The love of God. The personal love of God. The specific to you love of God the Holy Spirit. We are blasting through my time. Let's go to Ephesians. What's Paul doing here? Well, he's opening this letter to a church that's in relative health, And the letter to the Ephesians, as those of of you know who have read it recently, is um, sort of the kind of thing I like, sort of this cosmic letter, this big picture letter, and Paul opens it with all of this huge, sweeping language, doesn't he? I mean, listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Whoa, that's kind of an enormous promise. I'll paraphrase here because Paul's sentences are enormous and it's really easy to lose the point as he's like going on and on and on. I'm an editor and like, like our job is to make things short and concise and good. Um, and, and Paul is great, I'm not nitpicking, but his, he needs some more periods in here. <laughs> he's a big fan of the semicolon. Um, that's a no-no in my industry. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, glorious grace, blessing, redemption, riches, wisdom, insight, mystery, purpose, plan, fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth, Oh man, what has he just done? He's taken a snapshot of normal Christians and said, hey, guess what? You guys are part of the heaven story. Like, before the foundation of the world, you were important. You were thought of. You were given things. You were placed with Jesus as part of this crazy narrative Of uniting earth and heaven under the rule of the perfect King Jesus Christ, who can take the world as if it's a gift and give it to the Father with a love that is sonly. As the Father says, This is your inheritance, and gives it to Jesus with a love that is fatherly. He says, You're right in the middle of the life of the Trinity, Christians. It's so beautiful. But then note this, note where he goes. He says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Wonderful, sounds big. Having been predestined, wonderful, wonderful. Cutting down to verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Okay, so the whole trinity's here. And now you're sealed with the Spirit, wonderful, who is the guarantee, my translation says, of our inheritance, and Paul lets another shoe drop here, a really interesting shoe. My book says uh, guarantee. Some of, some of yours say uh, pledge, promise, down payment, um, earnest money, like you'd put down for a house. Those of you who uh, are realtors know that. The Greek word here is Erebon. um, not Cinnabon, arabon, <laughs> although it's still sweet. And it is a, a, uh, and it's a banking word. It's a get a loan kind of word. A escrow word. It means down payment. That's what it means. A pledge. Like when you're doing a really big transaction, and you're not giving it all down at once but you say, here's this. This is a value, collateral as it were. This is showing that I'm earnest. This is showing that this is real. This is for you. And Paul says that at the moment of your conversion, God sealed you with the Spirit for the purpose of you having that guarantee. Cosmic vision. Itty-bitty banking word. (laughs) It's a really odd juxtaposition. It's a really odd choice of words. But it's perfect. Do you know why? Because of what it implies. We haven't received the inheritance yet. God knew how hard it would be to believe it. Here's the most visceral reason I can give you to begin leaning in to your knowledge of the Spirit. He is God's provision for you to make it through times like these. Not just cultural times, not just national times. The times we all share Because we live in a time right now when loved ones say last words to us. When people let us down. We live in a world where we could hear this beginning, this opening of Ephesians. Hey, bend, Christians in bend, you own the world. God was thinking about you before anything and he gave you everything. And if we're honest, the natural human response that you all should be feeling right now is, really? It doesn't feel that way. I'd love that to be true. I have some ideas for how my life might be better. I have some ideas for how everything might be better love to be inheriting this mess and making it better. And you know what you're given as proof, as earnest money? The spirit. Okay, now here at this point you're thinking, well what if I've never felt the spirit? What does this mean? I'm going to bring it all down to a razor point right now. Has there ever been a time in your life where you loved beyond your human ability to love? where you had joy beyond your human ability for joy, where you forgave someone you should not have forgiven, where God gave you discernment that was beyond your own wisdom or insight. Has there ever been a time when God met your need with something that both came from inside you and outside you at the same time. If you're a believer, I vouchsafe to guarantee that there has been such a time. And you're probably thinking about it right now. That functions much like the riddle my grandfather gave me. A gift that is so quiet you can almost ignore it, but that is personal and meaningful. And because it comes from God and not my grandpa, gum, it carries tremendous, tremendous, tremendous power. Because in Paul's letter, we see ourselves twice. We see ourselves as we would like to believe we are. Conformed to the image of Jesus, being caught up into the life of God himself, part of the cosmic story, the yearning inside each of us that we were made for great things. It's there because we are, because we're already being given great things. But the other shoe drops here too. We see ourselves in the guarantee part, don't we? Because that hasn't happened yet. We still suffer. We still yearn. We still work and fail. We still fight and lose. We still try and sin. We look in the mirror and we say, Really, God? That's the inheritor of the world? (laughs) You put the life of Christ in that? That? And because God knew that we would be forced to choose between honesty and belief without something more, he provided at the moment Christ bought you for your faith. So if you're sitting here today, I want you to ponder what this means for you. I want you both to see yourself as God sees you. As one with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. As somebody he thought of before the foundation of the world. As infinitely valuable. As capable of wonderful things. And I want you to honestly look at the suffering right now. Honestly look at where it's hard. Honestly look at your doubts. Do not be afraid to acknowledge that the kingdom has not yet fully come. It has begun, it is not fully here. That the life of Jesus has begun to sprout in each one of us and in all of us as the body. That though the Spirit has come down, conforming us to the Son, gifting us with all that we need for life and godliness, there's a gap that remains. And I want you to consider, in what way, specifically, has the Spirit been that guarantee for you? When was the moment that God let you love beyond your human ability to love? What was the moment that should have destroyed you, and yet you looked about and you said, I feel some sort of peace right now, some sort of joy right now? It could be big, it could be very, very small but any place you begin to see that gap, you begin to see the Spirit, and you begin to encounter Him as exactly what you need for that time. This time, between the times, while we, who in Jesus will inherit all things, await Him, For that time, we have that pledge. We have that guarantee. We have that down payment. You see, it's just like God to leave something behind for us. And It's just like God to make us search for exactly what he is. For exactly what he means for us and our world. For our life now and for the life to come. Because the truth is that we have begun to see that life flutter already. We have begun to feel that life. And there is nothing I can imagine that is more precious and more practical for times like these. The gift of God for the people of God, God himself. I'd like to pray and bless you. I hope that my, uh, my words have connected with you somehow today. So turn your heart with me towards that spirit and let's invite him to do something new in us and among us. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the holy foolishness that you have brought among us. Thank you for the wisdom that needs to be uh, picked at, the mystery that needs to be engaged with. Thank you for providing what we needed for our own faith, even before we knew that we would need it. Lord, we long for you. We say with the words of John, come quickly, Lord Jesus, to us and to our world. And yet for this time while we are waiting, let us welcome you and invite you with new, f- with new freshness, with new power, with new depth. Let us say yes to your spirit in new ways. Lord, take whatever words I have spoken today and quicken them by your spirit to become life, to become refreshment, and to become good encouragement for the people in this room. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed in the name of the Trinity and go in power. You guys are awesome.